You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you together? go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel. And, uh, of course, Showreel is uh, 3CR's program looking at uh, focusing on Australian film as well as generally moving image. And uh, we're going to be uh, uh, talking about the Australian International Documentary Conference, which is starting on... March the 6th going to the 9th. It's a fantastic event that is in Melbourne, but of course it has an international complexion. It's going to be a hybrid uh, uh, event this year. It's going to be, uh, you get it, if you buy a ticket, you get the opportunity to be online uh, or you can be in person. It's uh, being held at ACME uh, in the city. Uh, there's some fantastic spotlight sessions. Uh, for example, Johannes Pola Rasmussen, who's the uh, person responsible for that extraordinary film Flea, um, which has been shortlisted for Academy Award. But uh, you, of course, if you've had a chance to see it, will know what a terrific film it is. He's going to be talking about the art of non-fiction. So that's a fantastic uh, session. There's other sessions, of course. Double Exposure, Navigating Risk and Truth in Investigative Documentary with Nafu Wang. Hope versus Reality in Conversation with Ted Hope, who is, who was the former uh, producer and former co-head of movies at Amazon Studio. So he provides invaluable insights into the world of global streaming platforms um, that's supported by Film Victoria. Now, this is a, a huge event, really, because there's a huge amount of partnerships and collaboration. It's uh, uh, got a very strong element of um, art and uh, uh, performance about it, you know, people who are hands-on doing stuff, but it's also got a running beside it, uh, a business element um, to it. So it's, uh, for working documentarians, this is a fantastic event. Uh, And as I said, it starts on the 6th of March, goes to the 9th. You can go on to the uh, website and uh, find out more about it, look at the program, see if you can afford a ticket, that sort of thing. Today, uh, one of the spotlight um, events is actually about uh, women in natural history making. It's um, it's a day that's going to be uh, a session, which is going to be on at uh, 10 to 11, Tuesday the 8th of March. It's, uh, of course, for Working Women's Day. 
Uh, and uh, it's going to feature um, a variety of pe- women who are involved in, uh, you know, working in um, making, you know, uh, wildlife documentaries, uh, making waves in specialist factual. Uh, it's uh, and it's in celebration of International Women's Day. And today we're going to uh, f- uh, talk to one of the people who are part of that session. That's Colette Birdy. She's part of. Uh, her, um, she she's been. Oh, well, I'll let her talk. I'll let her tell her tell you about what she is and what she's up to. Now I know that uh, you're going to be one of the uh, speakers or, or do, doing doing a um, Q and A, really, isn't it, for the AIDC? And your specialty is, of course, uh, what they call natural history documentaries. Can you give my listeners some understanding of your background? Sure. Um, and that's nice. I hope that they um, have enjoyed watching Life in Colour, which is probably the most important recent natural history film that uh, myself and my company, uh, Sea Light Pictures, have made. So uh, Life in Colour with David Attenborough is currently on Stan. Um, it was also, it premiered on Channel 9. Um, so if you have either of those outlets um, in about a year, it will also move over to Netflix. So depending on which way you get to watch your beautiful looking um, natural history shows they are meant to be you know broadcast so that people can enjoy the color and the wonder of them um natural history is looking at the history of nature the the behaviors of the natural world and uh david attenborough is of course the person who does it best even at the age that he is now um he's just sort of the father of of observing things in the natural world so that's part of what we do at sea light and the session that i'll be speaking on um during AIDC is looking at women in wildlife and women and wildlife. So opportunities for women to enter uh, and participate more broadly in um, a bit of a niche when it comes to documentary filmmaking. So is it, are women underrepresented in this area? Yes, I would say that they are. And it's partially, um, it has to do with a bit of the level of both technology and um, heavy gear that, that re- is required. These cameras are very high tech and very heavy and lots and lots of gear. And so any woman could break into this field, um, uh, but you have to be able to do some really tough stuff. And I know that there's lots of women who do love doing tough stuff, but it is certainly something where women have been uh, underrepresented in the past and there are a lot of women working at sea light and we are certainly trying to grow opportunities for Australians and Australian women to work in a field that in the past was dominated largely by companies in Bristol. Uh, the BBC natural history unit is also in Bristol. Um, and yes, everything is sort of growing and opening up at this point, but yes, I would say that certainly in the past, uh, there have been more cameramen and sound recordists, uh, and specialists and technicians who have been men. But your background is actually executive producing, writing, researching, finding the stories. So there's obviously, uh, other avenues within that sort of framework. 
Uh, it's true, but how I got to this position was by being in the field a lot. So I was in the field as a uh, associate producer, then a field producer, then a producer director. Um, I am a scuba diver. I've worked on a lot of uh, films living on boats, doing animal work with marine life. Um, I have a marine science degree as well. And um, uh, at times I have been a camera woman. So when it's been harder for me, like for many others, perhaps, is there, there was a period in time when cameras were a bit smaller. There's GoPros, which are great, but mostly it's much bigger cameras, uh, Sony's and Panasonic's and other other brands and names, uh, red, you know, are, are bigger cameras, especially if you put a housing on it and take it underwater, they can be 80 kilos, you know, and it takes two people to carry them. But um, I have been a camera woman and I've done a bit of sound and I've been a lot in the field. And I love, I still go in the field, even though I mostly have a desk job. So um, I think part of what you have to do to be in this field is really want to have a technical skill and really love nature and getting out and getting mucky and getting wet and all of that. Mm. The other aspect of your career has been um, the many places that you've worked. The, you've got a lot of experience to be able to share with other people. Um, yeah, I just really have. I, I know I sound like I'm not from Australia, but I am an Australian citizen. I know, I, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I love being a, a Aussie and here to stay and have been here for quite a while, but you don't you lose the accent of where you grew up and I I did grow up in New York but I have been able to travel an awful lot and I would stow away or you know find myself in um, you know any bottom of a boxcar or you know on a train or hitchhiking just about anywhere I could to try to get out there and have those experiences and at some point I even got to work a lot with China and Germany Um, I have tried to speak a few other languages and um, I have really liked to get out there and be out there. Um, Hemingway had several wives, but his fourth wife was a journalist. And she used to say that, because uh, writing is something anyone can do. You don't have to have a lot of high tech for that. Um, she used to say that writing is the price I pay for the chance to look and learn. And even now, um, I just want to get out there and look and learn. And I, I want to help tell the right stories so that other people will marvel at the natural world in the same ways that that I still do. Well, well, getting getting to uh, like someone makes the documentary, and there is uh, uh, a lot of scope for uh, getting natural history documentaries out there now, isn't there? Mm. There's a reason. It, it's not just the. Uh, I mean, I mean, natural history is a perfect uh, area for someone who wants adventure, who wants mm-hmm. to create a story that can actually alter. Uh, opinion, especially at the time we're at at the moment where we need to conserve environment. Thank you. I couldn't agree more. And for people who just want to find a way to get out among it, um, t- the price of you pay to tell the story, to find a way to capture the angle that you're looking for and then impart that to lots of other people in a way that's inspiring um, is nice, uh, is is definitely good for people who are adventurous and want to get out there. You know, of course, then there's editors and people who stay back in town and will sit in dark rooms and cut it together. And that's also inspiring. But being out there in the field is um, 
is it's it, natural history is a great outlet for people who want to do that. And we are trying to expand people's opportunities to do that. It was something that uh, Bristol does still does best. NHK in Japan also does it very, very well. Um, that's partially because both of their governments support their public broadcasters to put a lot of money into BBC, Natural History and NHK. Um, the ABC in Australia supports it to some degree, not to the same degree. But now you do have Netflix and Disney Plus, some beautiful streamers, some um, bigger companies who are really committing to um, using high-end technology to get out there and tell beautiful stories. So it's, it is a very encouraging time to um, help tell the story that we need to tell about conservation and caring for our, our planet. Hmm. 3CR gives space for voices excluded from mainstream media to people who want to be heard. And to help keep 3CR on the air, you need to donate and subscribe. Call 9419 8377 or online at 3cr.org.au. Transitions Film Festival returns this February with a selection of cutting-edge documentaries about technological innovations and change-makers leading the way to a better world. Themes include art, activism, climate change, food revolutions, artificial intelligence and the future of our planet. Transitions Film Festival, February 18th to March 13th, with screenings in Melbourne and online nationwide. For the full program, visit transitionsfilmfestival.com. Transitions Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. And today we are concentrating on the... Australian International Documentary Conference, which is also situated in Melbourne. It's a uh, hybrid festival this year. It's online as well as in person. In person, it's at ACME. If you want to know more about its uh, ticketing and uh, the date, of course, 6th to the 9th, but the program within that uh, time frame, uh, you should go to AIDC. Um, online and you will be able to find out more of the details. We're at the moment listening to a chat I had with uh, Colette Baldry, who's a um, natural scientist natural, you know, who, who spent 25 years of science history and national history experience and the senior production executive um, of uh, her own company uh, situated in Queensland, um, Seal Light. Uh, productions. Uh, she's just finished uh, the uh, the world in colour with uh, David Attenborough, and uh, she's going to be doing a session at AIDC um, that uh, is all about women and wildlife making waves in specialist factual, which is going to be on March the eighth at ten to eleven, and uh, AM on. Ma- International Women's Day, International Working Women's Day. So let's continue with our chat with Colette. Well, if we go back to um, David Attenborough, he was uh, almost let go, as it were, from the BBC because they decided they were going to go in a different direction. Now, obviously, marrying your business, Seal Light Pictures, with him was, I mean, it's nothing's going to stop David Attenborough, right? 
but mm. obviously you you your your business and your vision and his vision were a marriage made in heaven really was how did that happen um, well, we do have to give a big credit to our co-production partners. So I've mentioned Bristol a lot because they are the powerhouse and, um, we co-produced Life in Color with, um, Sea, with, with Sea Light Pictures co-produced with, um, Humblebee Films and they're out of Bristol and they've had a, a decades long relationship with Sir David. And so what was really interesting was that there was this idea of trying to capture color and it was Humblebee who had the greater access you know, in every way, geographically in every way to David, presented this idea to him. And it turned out that he was delighted, um, despite all the demands and requests that he gets. Um, he's been wanting to tell a story about color since the 1950s, when the BBC was still airing in black and white. And so the first story he ever did uh, featured animals and had to look at patterns because he couldn't look at color because as he was talking about a red bird, it was actually there in, in black and white. So it's kind of been partially technology that drove this story that's been developed for life in color. Um, and it kind of took all these years to catch up with Sir David's idea and to bring it back to him. And the fact that he was so excited to, to do it and to see this new technology, ultraviolet and polarized light and trying to explain how much more vivid the world is for certain animal species, even more than for us, some animals have more color receptors than we do and trying to interpret it as they see it. Um, it wasn't, it was a match made in heaven. It was the story. It was the Bristol company. And then it was also us being here in Australia um, because we have a lot of underwater expertise because a lot of these stories happen along coasts and underwater and a lot of the species that um, we wanted to cover in this happened to be found in Australia. Um, the other thing that was really lucky about it was that when COVID hit, um, uh, the British crew was not able to get out to as many locations as the world was starting to close down. And, you know, until this year, back in 2020, as the rest of the world was being affected by COVID, we were still very open for business. Even if state borders were slowly closing, we had people in the different states of Australia who were experts, who had their gear, who knew what they were about to go do. And, um, we were really able to continue filming and capturing animals because, as one country, we had such incredible diversity and such an array of different animals that um, are featured in Life in Color. There's, there's animals from all over the world, but every single episode has a good proportion of Australian animals featured in it. We were just so lucky to have this relationship with Humblebee, who had this relationship with, life, with David Attenborough, and the fact that he liked the story that we wanted to tell. That We were very, very lucky, yes. How would you start a project had had i mean I, I follow filmmakers and filmmaking and the various forms um but uh and everything is about storytelling but uh na natural history is is something else really isn't it t t tell me mm -hmm. about what how you would go about uh, constructing a project hmm um I think part of what you have to do is watch a lot of what's out there so that you're not pitching something that's already been done. Or if it's been done, you have to really think about what prism would you, what vehicle would you use to shine a different light on this? What's a different way in, what's your unique storytelling angle to cover this particular animal? Um, 
you you just sort of look at what inspires you and what you do a lot of research. So I think if you're fascinated with a particular animal or type of animal or an angle, you, you read a lot. Uh, you kind of get a mini PhD in the different types of animals or science that you're telling and you get so excited about it and you go so deep that you can speak about it from the heart, from a first person perspective. And because you, by, by spending that much time in that space, you kind of start to see everything through that idea. Other things feed into it. Um, it can be very hard to access people who have the money and the, the ability to make decisions on big things like that. So sometimes you go and work for when you're younger, you go and work for people who are, are already getting those commissions. So you you start to work with people who are doing it. You see what they're doing. You follow whatever particular storyline, whether, you know, that research comes into your inbox or you have certain publications, you're on certain Instagram feeds or Facebook feeds, but you, you start to specialize in an idea. And then maybe you can take that to the people you're working with, or if you're been doing it a long time, you can take it to uh, Disney or Netflix or Nat Geo discovery, ABC, SBS, you know, the players who, uh, might want to hear about another idea. Sometimes it can be a one-off, but a lot of times it's good if it's big enough that it can be a series because then if a broadcaster is investing in it for the amount of time it takes to, you know, recreate the wheel, you've got several episodes at least that, that can play out for the same, in some ways, the same effort of the, the contracting, the idea, the marketing around this, this project. It's nice if it has, um, enough elements to it to be longer than one episode. They incon- interconnect through a theme and that people want to um, watch more than one hour of it. They want to come back and see more. Broadcasters like scope and scale. Um, so, you know, it's a long, long road. You just start by being around other people who are doing it. And over time, you know, you can see about, t- I think you can't really just start out and just take an idea straight to the person with the money, unless you're very, very lucky. There's a, a lot of, you know, rungs to climb on a ladder to um, finally get your idea across. So hmm. I suppose that's one of the reasons for why in this particular talk, uh, it makes sense to be directing it towards women because they're underrepresented and how you tell a story is individual as well as, I suppose, related to your life experience. Hmm. Hmm. And as much experience as you can get, the better, you know, it uh, opens you up to new things. It, um, you know, gives you, gives you new ideas, uh, exposes you to more people, to more animals, to more about the way the world works, you know, the natural world, if that's what we're specializing in here. Yeah. And I think there are lots and lots of opportunities for women and there are young women, camera women and editors and sound recordists and writers and directors uh, coming up through the ranks. Do you think that uh, uh, natural history documentaries are, um, are experiencing a uh, a flower, a new flowering. Is it is, is something new's happening here? Isn't it? I think it is, and I think it's partially that so many people. I know that's not the whole world, but a lot of people would spend money on a big, beautiful television over, you know, a lot of other pieces of furniture in their house, perhaps, or or whatever. And so there's there's beautiful pictures, beautiful imagery. 
you know, almost as good as cinema quality picture and sound. And so um, that lends itself to uh, beautiful cameras capturing amazing imagery in a way that feels immersive, you know, what they're doing with drones. And I think the technology um, is married to what you can do and watch at home, what you can see and watch at home. And also, um, since COVID particularly, more people are home and they are hungry for nature as a, uh, a salve, a, a comfort um, in a time of sometimes bad news. You know, we want to care about the planet and we want to savor it. And so this is a, it's a, the technology makes it a very good time to grow more natural history storytelling so but at the end of the day you know everything is story it doesn't doesn't really matter if it's high tech or low tech if it's a really good story you know there have been plenty of things in the past where you know i think i'd never watched the the blair witch project but it was you know all fuzzy and gray but it caught people's you know you can do it on a phone there are ways that if the story captures people's attention and resonates that um you can be, you know, the next big thing. So. Mind you, the technology is fantastic because it takes you to places, even if you go to those places, you wouldn't experience what you're, we're getting in some of these documentaries. That's true. That's true. It is great armchair tourism and it, the drone can take you up and through the canopy or deep down if you're not um, a snorkeler, scuba diver or up close to a shark or other species. And also, you're, you know, the team is researching the time of year that a certain behavior or a certain spectacle happens that might only be once a year or, or even more infrequent than that. You know, they're really out there just waiting for this special moment and then you tell the story around around that so, yeah it's true so yeah it's another um way to experience nature as well as going out and experiencing it yourself yeah so we should finish up but you're you're going to be speaking on uh, march the 8th which is uh, international women's day working women's day so it's a perfect time to be giving a talk isn't it it is, and I have to say I feel really honoured because I'm going to be speaking alongside some other fantastic women. Um, uh, Bettina Dalton is um, the head of Wild Bear, which is another amazing uh, natural history production company. They do more than just natural history, but they do amazing things. Uh, one of her many latest claims to fame, uh, Bettina's, is um, Playing with Sharks, which is the film about Valerie Taylor, um, directed by a woman, uh, Sally Aiken. Um, also is uh, featured is Karina. Holden from Northern Pictures and the number of uh, nature films and live uh, television with nature, with water. She was the director on Blue, the film, um, you know, very heavy hitters. Um, and then, of course, uh, the, the I think she's an EVP at um, National Geographic, very, very high up with National Geographic, um, who is very much behind giving women opportunities in the wildlife space. And her name is Janet Vissering. So she's supporting lots of these programs and having more women uh, being involved in, in them and also mentoring up younger people. So they've all been putting their money where their mouth is in this space of women and Women's Day. Um, the Moderator is uh, the producer from Life, the Australian producer from Life in Color, um, Carolyn Johnson. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of women, a lot of strong women, and try, we're all trying to bring up younger women and younger people who can um, start to carry the torch for all of us soon. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thanks, and lovely to meet you. Cheers. Yeah, you too. 
Yeah, and uh, that was a chat with uh, Colleen, uh, uh, sorry, Colette uh, Baudry, uh, Birdie, who is going to be part of a, a speak a speech, uh, a Q and A, uh, women and wildlife, which is going to be part of the Australian International Documentary Conference, which is running from March the sixth to the ninth, and you can find out more about it by going to their website AIDC. You can get tickets. It's uh, online as well as in person this year, and I really. If you're a documentarian, it is really worthwhile having a listen and look at what it is that they're offering because it is a pinnacle event. It is just fantastic. Every year, it is absolutely super fantastic. Um, uh, that's it for Showreel right now. I'm going to go out with uh, a little bit of Anita Franco. to all the folks that live in Palestine, Afghanistan, Iraq, El Salvador. Here's a toast to all the folks living on the Pine Ridge Reservation under the stone cold gaze of Mount Rushmore. Here's a toast to all those nurses and doctors who daily provide women with a choice, who stand down a threat the size of Oklahoma City just to listen to a young woman's voice. Here's a toast to all those folks on death row right now awaiting the executioner's guillotine who are shackled there with dread and can only escape into their heads to find peace in the form of a dream peace in the form of a dream peace in the form of a dream because take away our playstations and we are a third world nation under the thumb of some blue blood royal son who stole the Oval Office and that phony election. I mean, it don't take a weatherman to look around and see the weather. Jeff said he delivered Florida folks and boy did he ever. And we hold these truths to be self-evident. Number one, George W. Bush is not president. Number two, America is not a true democracy. And number three, You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.